ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Hello, I am David Grubb, and you are listening to Hard in the Paint with David Grubb. Today, I have a very special episode for you. Uh, recently, I had the opportunity to talk with LSU basketball legend, social activist, and humanitarian Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Over the past couple of years, he and I have gotten to speak a few times, and it's just been interesting to watch as his profile has grown so much. Um, you know, last year he had his uh, jersey retired at LSU. Um, and he's been in the, been around the campus a lot more. Um, and he was out of the public eye for the most part until he started playing in the big three. And Mahmoud's story has pushed back into the mainstream in no small part to Colin Kaepernick's situation and the parallels between both the public and professional reactions to their silent protests. His voice was one that I wanted to hear and needed to hear as our country continues to deal with structural racism, economic stagnation, and a global pandemic while trying to create some sense of normalcy through sport. I sat on this interview because I didn't really think that I could do it justice by cutting it up for the radio. This podcast felt just like a better venue um, in order to have these thoughts expressed as they are intended to be. It's an honest conversation, but no, it is not a perfect one. There is no such thing. Uh, but coming up is my mood up the road. To free their children from a permanent psychological death, then nothing shall be more redemptive. We shall overcome. Before the victory won, some would be misunderstood and called bad names and dismissed as rabble rousers and agitators. But we shall overcome. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with athlete, but most importantly, activist um, and legend in my mind, Mahmoud Abdul Raouf. How are you doing today, sir? Under the circumstances, everything's fine, man. I appreciate you asking. How about yourself? We're hanging in there. You know, like you said, under the circumstances, it's been difficult for all of us. Um, in particular, um, as you know, with this pandemic and now with what's going on in our country, I just felt like this was a timely moment to speak with you, number one, because of your humanitarian efforts, and number two, because of your place in the history of American athletic activism. So first, let me start with that, with the pandemic. You've always been someone who goes and, and travels the world, meets with communities, not just of, of your faith, but you meet with people and talk about um, a number of topics. What have you been able to do during the pandemic to continue the work that you've been doing? Well, I, I haven't, some people may uh, find this appalling, but I haven't really, outside of being invited to speak, because so many things have been shut, shut down, um, uh, I haven't really stopped doing the, the, the other things I normally do, uh, the training, the spending time with my family, uh, you know, even, even things of this nature, obviously, uh, has been reduced to Zoom, and, but, uh, you know, I've been quite quite busy and active still. There's been a lot of attention brought back to the world of athletics and how they have participated in speaking up in regards to structural racism, police brutality, and all of those things. 
And yet, as you well know, this is not the first time we've had to have these conversations. What do you think is the difference now? What was the inflection point that has brought athletes back into the mainstream of activism? Uh, that's, that's a great question, man. I think, uh, I mean, certainly uh, social media has, has a part to play. Um, you know, when I was, when I was in the NBA, uh, we didn't have that advantage. The media could more so control the narrative. Um, but things shifted when social media came on the scene and people had a voice, you know, uh, from the quote unquote smallest to the biggest, they can, they can share their views on things. And, and then they, a lot of these people developed an audience. And so when things would happen, you know, and, and, and telephones, right. Being right. able to capture like what's happening, George Floyd and so many others, there've been so many other George Floyds that came before him being able to capture scenes and, and things of that nature, man, it, it, it's something about being able to utilize your voice and have it heard and then, and seeing and hearing feedback that's not uh, dictated and controlled by somebody else. You can actually hear what other people are saying. And oftentimes what, what comes out of that is like, wow, you know what? A lot of people think like I do. Right, you come off with that that the more dialogue. You're like, well, I'm not the only one that have these views. There's more people that have these views than I thought, mm -hmm. um, and and so that creates a confidence, you know, in people. And then to constantly see things mixed with the images, you know, we always say uh, words and images are powerful. Yes. So the more you combine those two forces, and you see them this day in and day out, and it's just not controlled, you know, it 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 does. If if you have any type of conscience it does something, it pricks your conscience and it makes you want to move forward to do something about it. Because we all, especially if you're black in this country, we all experience, you know, being subjugated, being denied, being maligned, being oppressed. And you hear, you hear comments now, well, now is the time. It's always been a time. 400 some years ago, it was a time. Exactly. But it takes events sometimes like this to change, to change the attitude. And I think too, you mentioned the pandemic before and cut me off, man. Sometimes I, I'm just passionate. Oh, I'm used I'm to it. <laughs> I, think the fact, I, I think that the fact that there's a pandemic was a blessing also because now people are at home. A lot of them were forced not to, you know, their jobs were closed and now they have time. They have leisure to sit and ponder and think and absorb and and also they have time to be on the streets for longer. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine if people had to go back to work, if these protests would have lasted as long as they've lasted, only, only God knows. But I think it's, it's so when, when, I think those are some of the, the, the changes, especially social media, being able to control your voice, seeing the impact of your voice, the images that you can take and you can also upload and other people giving you feedback. and. I think that's what is probably one of the major differences um, in, in, in my time and, and now. When you talk about the social media, that's a point that I've been hitting on as well. Normally at this time of year, NBA players, NFL players, baseball players, whomever, would be in training camps or in the midst of games. And like you said, that isolation mm -hmm. that the team environment creates – 
insulates you from your fellow players, from the outside world very much in a, in a large scale. Having these groups, I think you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. Having them, players who live in New York, live in California, live in all these other places can now share that commonality of experience. And I think you're right. It has emboldened, particularly our 25 and unders who come from this generation mm-hmm. of we're used to speaking out about everything anyway, from the minute to the important. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it has been something that has changed the dynamic of discourse and, like you said, emboldened people to speak for what they think is right. Yeah, and, and, and I think another, another, another thing that helps uh, is when you have people, whether we agree with them or not, but when you have people that are in prominent position, right? You take a person, and you don't have to agree with everything that they do, but you take a person like LeBron James, mm-hmm. right? Who, I mean, the athletes are making so much money now, and we can we can also have the argument. Well, during our time, it was still a lot of money, but right now, it's just <laughs> it's just off off the chain, and it's beautiful to see. But and that that economic uh, to be economically healthy also is, is something that can create when you know that, look, man, I'm okay financially. Mm-hmm. You can't use that over my head, right? You know, you can't take, if you take my quote unquote job, I'm still good. That kind of also helps to embolden. But when you have people like a LeBron James, who's in his position, right? Uh, speaking out on issues, Everybody underneath, quote unquote, that position, it kind of said, well, man, if he's doing it, right, right, then what does that say about me? And so sometimes when you see your, quote unquote, leaders taking positions, right, it kind of can embolden and strengthen other people to do the same thing. So I think all of those things are, and, and, and this generation too, man, they didn't grow up by and large. I mean, I know, okay, everybody has some older person in their family, but they didn't grow up necessarily you know, probably being given uh, that huge dose of the civil rights period and, and being patient and waiting for your, you know, even Martin Luther King toward the end of his life. Yes. When he wrote that, that piece and talking about, look, we can't wait no more. Mm-hmm. You know, all of this waiting, you know, what has it done for us? And so they didn't grow up in that era. So they want, you know, we, they growing up in a culture that fast food, fast information, right? Uh, fast results. I'm not, I'm not looking to sit back and wait. Right? I want it now. And it's beautiful. And it should have, you know, we can always say what it should have been, but it's just beautiful to see, man. It's beautiful to see. And I hope that it continues. Uh, that they, we don't take the gas, uh, our feet off the gas uh, at all. When you see that athletes are out there not just using their words in social media, but are also on the front lines of these um, protests, out there in the streets with their communities and embracing them in ways that maybe they had not before. Um, that physical presence is just as important as that vocal or um, social media presence. And we are seeing them out in the streets. That part, I think, has been invaluable as well. Oh, no question. Uh, you know, <laughs> You know, there's a saying that what you are speaks so loudly in my ears, I can't hear a word you say. <laughs> you know, a, a, a lot of people can say things and, you know, they can, they can, they can, 
you know, get on social media. They can do that. But when you actually physically engage in sacrificing yourself for something, that that right there speaks volumes more than, you know, when it's all said and done, more than words could ever do. Right. I mean, words of words have its power, but words without being backed with physical engagement doesn't really have the power and doesn't have the force, you know, because at the end of the day, people want to see, you know, if you really about what you talk about. Yeah. When we talk about what, as these athletes become more empowered and understand what their value is, not only to these leagues, when you have the NFL says we don't exist without black players, the NBA certainly knows that as well. Um, but we hear statements from leagues we have not yet seen the action match the statements. We have seen slight admissions yeah, of, of, of wrongdoing, but have not seen full admissions. As long as those structures in power don't involve the people who want change, do you expect to see real change in the governance of these sports leagues? No, I don't. I don't. Again, it goes back to what, I, you know, what, what we just talked about. Um, you know, you can talk about racial, racial equality. You can talk about hiring policies. You can talk about we love black people. We're talking about, look, if it wasn't for you guys. But as the old saying goes, the truth is in the pudding, right? The truth is in let, let, okay, then show me, you know, through the hiring policies. Not just hiring, but also give me the same uh, uh, financial kickbacks and the same contracts that you would give somebody else, Right. Uh, until that happens, you're just blowing smoke. And that's the way we should look at it. Just like we've grown accustomed to hearing like in, events like this take place. We've grown accustomed to hearing people come out and say some stupid things. And then they'll come back and apologize. But they apologize. But after their apologies, it's not back with something concrete. So we've grown to, well, you know what? Until you can show me consistently that you can follow it up with something, all of those policies are just blowing smoke to me. They mean nothing to me. And, and this is just our experience. Yes. And so all of those things don't, you know, there's this saying, that, oh, it sounds, it sound, there's this saying that we say sometimes, well, it sounds good in theory. That don't even sound good in theory to a person that's knowledgeable. To talk about all this love for, well, if it wasn't for you guys, you know, that this league wouldn't be it. Man, that don't even sound good in theory. You got to come with something better than that. We're not dumb. We're not stupid. You know, it's like saying, and, and it's insulting when yes. people say stuff like that. It's insulting when they say that, and then you know, you know Maybe. what, you know that. Look, man, I hear you, but let me let me look at your let me look at how you run your business. How many blacks that you do you have in these positions? How many others do you have in this position? Well, well, as far as I'm concerned, what you're saying uh, again, you just blowing smoke. Then we're gonna be real about it. No, because to me, it resonates as. We can't have the product without the labor. That's how it just seems to me is that we need you as labor and we want you to be placated as labor. And that's your value to us. We cannot have the game without you. But the business, we will be certainly be fine if, if you are not involved because they've existed for 100 years without having us involved in the business. Yeah. And, and there will always be uh, another product. <laughs> right that 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 wants to engage them and 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 be in that and be in that position because we don't all think the same and they know that and that's where unity comes in right when we all understand our worth 
right? Beyond just having a contract that may benefit some individuals here and there. But when we all say, look, man, we know our worth and we all want what, 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 uh, what, uh, what we deserve. And that's, that's just not in terms of players. That's also in terms of ownership. That's also in terms of coaching. That's also in terms of front office, right? It should be across the board. And I mean, you know, even when you look at the music, music industry, even when you look at movie industry, right? It's across the board. Why should it be that every time we watch television, that 90 some percent of those who we watch are people that don't look like us? But yet we spend, I mean, we spend a whole bunch of money by one, I think what, $1.3 trillion? You know, our, our value is to this economy. So I mean, when I so when I say, when I when I think of things, I don't just think of, you know, I'm I'm thinking like across the board. Like when I say, don't put your foot off the gas. Don't put it off the gas at all. There's so much, man, that we've just been we've been deprived of because of the system. Yes. Yeah, you know, we can always talk about. Yeah, you got good people here and there on both sides, black and white. We ain't talking about individual good people. This ain't no individual issue. This is a systemic issue. You can look at it all the way from healthcare, ecolog ecological challenges where our communities, uh, 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 where we're forced to live around power plants and nuclear plants, that the, 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 the effects that it has on us, whether it's the health issues, the asthmas, the cancers, you know, you, you, you want to talk about healthcare, I and mean, we're the only country in the world that healthcare is linked to your job and not to your human body. You know, you want to talk, I mean, there's the list you can go on, banking industry, you know, I mean, you, you name it, education. <clears throat> and so we're like, no, I mean, enough. And we hear this, enough is enough. And we've always known enough is enough. We've always known that. And it takes moments like this. And we also know that, hey, don't let them trick you with giving you a little piece of something. And then you go back to sleep. They sign this into legislation or they sign it. Do you go back to sleep? This is the game. Don't let them put you to sleep. Keep your foot on the gas. Keep demanding. Don't ask. Demand. Because you got a right to, you know. And so I may have gone off on a tangent a little bit, but, man, I just, I really love what I see. And so when anybody say something, when anybody, I don't care, white or black, but in this, in this case, we're talking about ownership in the NBA. Man, look, show me. Don't just, don't just whisper words to me and, and, and speak some, and, and like I said, it's to the point now, it don't even, it ain't even, it don't even sound good in theory. That don't even sound good to an intelligent man. That's insulting <laughs> to a man of intelligence. Say, well, you know, wasn't for you guys. And, but yet you don't see it manifested in the business world. And yeah. you can say that in probably almost every, every aspect of life. It's yes. like racism is so pervasive. It has left, it hasn't left untouched anything. You pick anything, it hasn't left it untouched. And who suffers the most? People of color, black people. We always suffer the most in every category. Any mm -hmm. category. Except the prison industrial complex. It comes back down to discussing feelings. And like you just talked about, this is not a feelings issue. I don't care whether or not in your home you like me. Whether or not you, whether or not in your home, I am, and I'm gonna be blunt here. I'm a nigger or not. You can say whatever you want in your home, but yeah. the law of the land, the government yeah. in which that we have contributed to and created value for for 401 years at this point, 
I care about that. And it seems that we keep diverting this into how do we come together and shake hands and hug each other when that is not my problem. Yeah. I will make friends. I'm able yeah. to make friends in life. But what I need is respect as a human. I need you to yeah. understand my humanity. And this, 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 this conversation, yeah. it seems to me it turns back on the people in the problem, who create the problem, trying to tell you it's about them and how they feel rather than saying, let me affect change for you. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you know, I, I was looking at something, man, and I'm big on quotes uh, and, 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 and I read a lot. James Baldwin, oh, in, yes. in, in light of what you, you just talked about to some degree, he said the civilized and you can you can you can inject America. You can inject so many uh, uh, things in it. But he said the civilized have created the wretched quite boldly and deliberately and do not intend to change the status quo, are responsible for their slaughter and enslavement, rain down bombs on defenseless children whenever and wherever they decide that their vital interests are menaced, and think nothing of torturing a man to death. These people are not to be taken seriously when they speak of the sanctity of human life or the consciousness of a civilized world. To me, that sums up when I think of the system, you can't take them seriously. Because when you look at your history, not just in the past, but when you look at how it plays out now, it's still slavery by another name. You change the names, you change the faces, but still when you look at, we are still having, there's an apathy for black suffering un, until there's a, a, a destruction of property or the potential loss of life, then there's this presumption of less talk but I don't think it's ever because, I'm going to say ever, by and large, it's not because, well, it's out of love and a concern and I want equality. It's because there's a potential loss of something I, I deem as precious. And so now I want to talk. But it's obvious that black life don't matter because if it did, right, we wouldn't still, after 400 years, be having the same conversations, literally the same conversation. If you dig back in the 40s and 50s, if you look at now in 2020, we still are talking about, you got politicians denying the existence of structural racism. They should be outlawed. That is like the highest form of it. Are you kidding me? Right? And so uh, th there's this woman named Ajima Aluo. She wrote a book called So You Want to Talk About Race. She said, when we identify where one's privilege intersects with another's oppression, then we're on our way to change. But we've yet to reach that because you got politicians that can't even admit to the fact that there's structural racism. And these are people in high positions. You got still people denying the, the, the fact that they're trying to argue details, right? But they still want to deny reparations but have given them to everybody else. Until those things happen, man, shut, shut up talking to me. You just blowing smoke. And, 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 and it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. No, it, it, the thing that gets me is like, when I look at what the NFL did, and I think people have not paid attention enough subtly to how they changed the statement that the players asked for. that said, we want you to admit that you silenced protest. And instead the NFL says, 
we didn't listen to our players. And those are two very different things because silencing is an active act. You know, it is, it is a verb. You are intentionally taking action to stop people from expressing themselves. Not listening is something that you say as a faux pas. I didn't hear you. I misunderstood you. I didn't receive your message. That was not the activity of the NFL mm -hmm. in 2017. They outwardly said what they were going to do to protesters and people who spoke or did not speak. There was no vocal protest. This was a silent protest. And yet you don't acknowledge the people mm -hmm. who originally hurt and you still don't acknowledge the actions of the league. So to me, like you said, these seem performative in the moment and that people see that they're being looked at. But mm -hmm. once the glance is averted, business as usual. But, but that, you know, because you have people and you always had them. Um, but I think, again, social media has changed the game because you have a lot of thinking people because we are thinking people, despite what a lot of people may want to think. We are thinking people. We analyze. We might not always verbalize it because of the the risks that are involved with us. It's, it's more risky for us to speak the truth than for somebody else to speak the truth. But uh, they're only exposing themselves every most every time they open their mouth with stuff something like this just exposing themselves and making themselves look so ridiculous and so unintelligent right to thinking people uh and it's and and it's a good thing it's a good thing because their own ignorance and arrogance is what's going to bring them down it's going to bring them down and it's and inside it's it's showing it's showing now because the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing is that, and even when you look at like the history of movements and you look at like uh, what was happening in apartheid South Africa, you look at what's happening in, in uh, uh, colonialist, uh, the state of Israel with the BDS movement, the uh, uh, boycott and divestment, right? The same thing was taking place in South Africa. And it wasn't until like even what was happening here when Martin Luther King, for example, went on the Selma Bridge and they showed these images. And they were peaceful, right? You hear that phrase a lot too, right? Injustice and peace at the same breath. But it was peaceful and the world saw these images. Well, when you, because everybody, when it's all said and done, white and black, everybody goes through being subjugated and being oppressed to some degree. When you still have a society where you have a 1% give or take that controls 80 some to 90% of the wealth and it hasn't changed, and when you look at all the inclusion that takes place, whether it's in politics, where you got two parties, you got the, the same cycle of friendships. It's like good police, bad police. They're constantly giving and taking from each other. When you, when you constantly have the, you know, uh, 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 when, 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 you, when, when you have these, these, these things taking place and people begin to identify their oppression, and their oppression with a common hit, like, hold on, man, we going through some of the same stuff. We experience the same thing to a, to a degree. This is why you see now, and, and those are the things that brought down eventually apartheidism, mm -hmm. right? State of apartheid. When people, it became an international solidarity. It was no longer local. And that's the thing also that got Malcolm killed when he started talking about taking this thing to the UN. Yes. Don't just keep it as a civil, yes. civil issue. And so now you see protests in, uh, you see protests in uh, France, protests in Brazil, protests in Denmark. I mean, all over the globe. 
and they're connecting to this, this symbol of a George Floyd, which we've had numerous George Floyds. And so the timing couldn't be any better. And they're demanding up, they're tearing down racist uh, slave owner statues, <laughs> right? And it's like, man, this is, this is what eventually brought about the destruction of the state of, uh, the, the state of uh, 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 South Africa, apartheid. And this is what can bring down, uh, and literally this, this, this whole thing, there has to be an overhaul. This is just my humble opinion. Because never have being included, whether you voting, whether you, whatever you are, the, the, the system is so entrenched with relationships and big business. If we're waiting for the generosity of a people to solve our problems, it's wishful thinking, right? Never have being included for us, never has it ever changed the relationship of power. Never. It's still as segregated and as separate as it has been. You look at, like you're talking about the hiring policies. Still, you have a low percentage. Whether it's in CEOs, still you have a low percentage. You name it. Everywhere we go, you can have a great degree, great credit score, but you go to the bank, there's going to be discrimination, right? They're going to give you a higher loan. It's been statistically yeah. proven. A higher loan, uh, uh, not, not as much money, yep. and in a poor neighborhood. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, so, so it's systemic. And so we have to... We have to come up with another paradigm, another radical way of looking at, no, this don't work. This ain't, you know, to think that we're going to gain our freedom by being attached to the law or being in the military or getting married. No, this is the widely held narrative of the United States, right? That this is the way to do it. Mm -hmm. You didn't do it that way. Right. You didn't gain supremacy of this nation through voting. and through, No, you gained it through revolution through resistance, through rebellion. And through stealing. And this is how you did it. So you, you, want us, you want us to be your, you want us to be your students? Well, let, let us follow you on that one and let's be your students and let us do it the same way. But they tell us, you know, when I hear things like uh, injustice and peaceful protests, in this, it, 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 it irks me. Like, okay, you, ex you are oppressing me. You got the need of my neck, socially, politically, Literally. economically, physically. But you want me to be peaceful in my protest. Not even by a lot biology, that doesn't exist in human in, in, in nature, it doesn't exist. If you corrupt the earth enough, right, there's gonna be acid rain. If 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 there's gonna be there's gonna be floods, right? Yep. If if the earth is going to fight back if you corrupt it, this is in nature. Yes. If you feed your body the wrong foods, right? Yes. You don't take care of yourself. It's not going to say, I'm going to be peaceful with you. No, <laughs> it's going to give you cancer. It's going it's to give you a runny nose and a sore throat. It's going to give you a headache. It's going to fight back. It's going to show you, I don't like what you're doing to me. But you expect us, you beat us, you subjugate us, you oppress us, and then you say, but protest peacefully, <laughs> right? That don't make sense to me. Not, it, that doesn't exist anywhere. To and that's not how it's going to happen. We are constantly a society in America that is a lacks a sense of self-reflection. We we are we are embedded in the mythology yep. of America rather than the reality. The second part of that to me is black folk have taken on <laughs> self have taken on you know this this adaptation to exclusion, 
to, to outward loathing and have in a lot of ways, and I've done it and I'm sure there are times in your life when you did it, when you, 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 you suppress your own humanity for acceptance to be, to not rock the boat. Yeah. And, and so uh, America yep. makes it much easier for them to adjust on the fringes and address your symptoms like cold medicine, stop yep. your runny nose, ease your sore throat, yep. but you still have the sickness. You have not gotten rid of the sickness. We don't want to deal with hey. the sickness. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, uh, w- when you were saying that in this conversation that we're having, reminds me of the incident that happened with Frederick Douglass when he confronted, uh, he had a battle with Mr. Kobe, the, 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 the overseer. Yes. And that was the turning point. That was the turning point in his life as a person that was enslaved. And he wrote, he said, a man without force is without the essential dignity of humanity. He said, human nature is so constituted that it cannot honor a helpless man, although it can pity him. And even this it can't do for long until the, unless the signs of power arise. So unless you, when you're going through this, look, if you don't show a forcefulness, right? People don't honor, even though they can pity it. And that, that they can't do for long. They don't honor a person. They don't hear you. They don't respect you. They don't answer. They don't comply to your demands if you don't show a level of force to show that you know what man i value my humanity enough to fight for it outside of that if you don't show that you will continue to go through this cycle of 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 wanting of lacking of asking somebody for something that you know was taken from you and the fact that it was taken from you is reason enough to fight for it and to demand it, but many of us don't. And until we show that force and it's consistent and it's sustained, we'll continue to be in the situation we're in. It's like a sister told me once a long time ago, what you allow will continue. That's a word right there. That's a word. Um, So on the practical side of this, the advancement of it, what I also see is you see these other subtle things that go to continue the exploitation of athletes. It, and the pandemic is being used for that mm-hmm. in large regard. When I see college athletes being literally, for, in my mind, forced back to campus, you know, in a situation where you do not have a protocol, the NCAA abdicated its responsibility in creating venues for testing, creating a standardized program for athletes. There are no student athletes at the table in these discussions to talk about player safety, to talk about student safety. These decisions are being made by athletic directors and coaches who are in no way qualified to make those medical decisions. And then we're on top of that, we're talking about the perpetuation of a system that will not, you are not being financially compensated for danger that you could be putting yourself in. How do we continue to inform college mm-hmm. athletes and high school athletes of their rights and their responsibilities and get them to the level where they have a voice to fight the systemic issues in at the exploitation in collegiate sports? You, you know, I think the simple answer, well, simple answer, but not necessarily the simple solution. You know, back in the day, man, it's like, it's like now. You see all of what's happening, right? 
and I was listening to someone that I've been doing a lot of listening and, and, and they were like, you know, a lot of people are protesting, right? A lot of people are doing things, but where are the sittings? Where are the classes to teach the details, right? And basically this is what you're saying. So I think, you know, we have to, those who know, right, is a responsibility to try to organize, just not in terms of protests and things of that nature, but the old old school, it could be it could it, it could be uh, uh, reinvented, if you will, uh, recharacterized or whatever. But the old school sittings, right, the classes where you teaching people, like the Black Panther Party, right, and all of these groups would come and they would teach people uh, about the intricacies of the system and how it works. Like you were just talking about, you were laying out all of these things is happening and who's controlling you and, and, and what your rights are and, and what, you, what your value is. Some of us don't even know our value to, to even know to ask for stuff, mm -hmm. right? And so to be able to, we have to create those type of avenues, you know, and people who come is who come or, or even make it, especially like now since this is happening, make it a requirement. Just like they have requirements and policies, like look, and just like in the NBA, they have these. Uh, before you go to the NBA, they they send you through this orientation, right? Mm -hmm. Teach you certain things. Well, look, before you go to college, or before you get to this point, in order to play on this basketball team in high school, in order to go to this college, in order to go here, you it's a must. You got to come through this orientation with people that's not connected to these institutions, separate entities independent entities and make sure because over over time you know people get even though it may start off independent people get paid off you know how the system works they constantly have people not don't make it a long term you you your, your morality is constantly in check if you come to find we come to find out that you have cheated in any way you're not no you can't be you lied in any way you ain't you can't be a part of teaching in this in this thing and and develop a system where it's a must that you got to go through this orientation because some of us unless it's a must we're not going to do it because some of us don't see a value in learning that stuff right we just want to go get our money and go now you may go through it and realize i still want to get my money and go but information is power when you you do that enough you're going to touch more people's lives and and a lot of people are going to end up i think like you know what hold on man that's deep and then they're gonna start networking together. They may leave separately, but they may say, hey man, you know, what you think about what the brother and the sister said? You know what, man, I, I, I didn't know how to put it in words, but God dang, that was deep. They got a point, man, the way they expressed it. I didn't know, I didn't know all of this was taking place. When I came out of college, I was so God doggone naive. You know, you want money, but you don't want money. Like I don't mm -hmm. want, I, I'll make it the right way. Realizing we're done. The right way should have been compensating these athletes because that's exploitation, right? When it's all said, everybody else getting paid, but I'm just getting a degree that being a black man, I still, even with a degree, I still may not get a job in the same field and I might, I'm not going to get the same pay most of the time. So the trade-off ain't even, ain't even close. So a lot of us don't even know to be able to question, and a lot of us don't know our value to be able to demand. And so I think something like that could be a start. People that's been in business for so long, right? 
just like governments. <laughs> They've been doing it for so long. These are people that oftentimes think 20, 30, 40, 50 years in advance. And I may be stretching it, but they, they think long term. And they've been doing it for so long. They've got so many different strategies, right? You come with this, hit you with this. Come with this, hit you with this. And, 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 and it's definitely going to take someone who truly have been in the system long enough, who've studied it long enough to know their strategies, to be able to effectively have the pushback that could, that could, uh, that could, uh, what, what, what's the word I'm looking, the, the, the type of pushback that, could develop real results you know what i mean so yeah that's a that's that's a that's a detailed yeah that's 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 a tough one yeah that's a tough one. but generally speaking just being informed being aware of how they do business because once you're aware this is just a general response once you're aware it's easy now to prepare right and to devise a strategy yeah, I noticed there was a, a football player. He's the number one recruit for 2023. And he tweeted out that maybe going to an HBCU isn't so bad. If you start to see this movement of elite athletes back to historically black colleges, that's another paradigm shift too, because the money follows the talent. Yep. Schools don't matter if they don't have the talent. That's a, a major paradigm shift. They need you. Like that simple part of, and maybe you've had this conversation with young athletes too, but I see them say, I'm blessed to receive a scholarship offer. And I tell them when I converse with them, <laughs> yeah. you have not received anything. You have earned something. They need you. If you didn't work, exactly. they're not offering you. If you couldn't do the job, they're not coming after you. You earned this. You didn't receive it. Exactly. And that mindset, to me, is part exactly. of that conditioning that starts on young black athletes from that early age, that everything you get is by grace or gift and not because you are exceptional at what you do, that you are disciplined at what you do. Yeah. You, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, you know, even even when I went through what I went through and then uh, asked my I remember looking at this clip, asked Mahmoud, how would he like getting uh, not getting paid by American dollars or America has has given him this. I, and my mind was like, OK, let's look at the history of what America has taken. You know, there's always different ways of looking at things, <laughs> right? And there's just so many ways, but you're right. We constantly get these things like we, we should just be grateful. Things where we received it, things were given to us. And, 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 and America has always a, a, a positioned itself from a position of exceptionalism, yeah. right? And at the same time, from a position of innocence. Like, oh, it's so exceptional place and there's no other place like it. And, you know, and. I, I just don't buy it. You know, I don't buy it. There's so many areas of life. Even uh, Cornell West was saying the other day when he was speaking about capitalism, but you can say the same thing about the concept of democracy, which capitalism is embedded in and so many other things is embedded in. He said this experiment with capitalism has failed. So when you look at it, this whole experiment, by and large, when it pertains to us, is a failure.
you know, when you look at militarism, when you look at so many things, yeah, you can point to people. When you, when you, when you look at statistics and they say middle-income families, black and white, if they middle-income family, black, was to liquidate everything they had, they would have maybe around $1,500 to their name. A middle-class white family would have a hundred and some thousand to their name. This is the effects of uh, privilege, entitlement, and generational wealth. And then when they you hear statistics, well, it would take to eat to reach economic parity, a black person family with a white family, two hundred and twenty-some years, right? But you want to talk about how great America has been to you? That that to me is it's a joke. But when you come from a certain position of being entitled and having these things given to you, of course, you're going to see it that way. Just like when Drew Brees made the comment, he has family in the military, he's grown up a certain way. I get it. You see it that way. But by seeing it that way and not allowing yourself to see it another way, you become very insensitive, right, to what other people have gone through, right? And, and it's a high level of, you know, let's say for what it is, arrogance, I mean, I mean ignorance. Right. And to some degree, even if it's intended and not arrogance, to, to say stuff like that. When we keep talking about the meaning of the flag, no country has a love affair or this obsession with its flag the way America does. It's been weaponized against right. black people before. We've seen the pictures of citizens stabbing and, and hitting Amer black Americans with that flag. It seems, well, it, I don't think it seems, it is to me, the, the state is that the flag represents that, that wall. It is that wall because they can wrap, you wrap it, they wrap it up in things like the military that people don't want to question because those are dead men and women. So we don't question dead men and women in this service. Right. But you know that is not the argument. You are being disingenuous when you say that that is the argument. But that flag, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, but you create this artificial wall so you can divert the argument. And that's what all of these things seem to just are to me, just a, a, a use of diversion to eliminate the conversation. Yeah. Well, you know, the same thing goes when people say things like, for example, uh, and, and they'll use the flag to deflect from, the, like you said, the real arguments. But people do the same thing when they say, well, the government, the system. But the system is run by people who create policies and these people have names. Start calling names that policies that people endorse, right? Because when we say it's abstract, the government, the system, who are you talking about, right? So there are people that are responsible for creating policies through these think tanks that ends up becoming law and that they're benefited. Names should be called. Put them on front street just like they like to put us on front street. Like you endorse this policy. You have this company, for example, there's something that tear gas that's used by the police, right? Uh, that also in a state, uh, uh, colonial Israel, where, where it's used. There's some things that's put into that tear gas, they said, that in particular in that area that also eats it closed, it, it's, it's like deadly. But this same tear gas is produced, and oftentimes this tear gas can't be used. Not some, I think in some places, even in the military, in wars, they don't necessarily. But it's allowed to be used 
It's allowed to be used by the police on civilians. But this same tear gas is produced out of a company in Maryland, right? And so many people are benefiting, right, from other people's destruction. They're capitalizing. They're, and so a lot of these companies, right, that benefit off of that. And you know, for example, during apartheid, when you know, like, for example, if Caterpillar, right, was doing business in apartheid, just like they were doing business in Israel. And you know that they're using these things to demolish people's homes unjustly. They're killing people with this instrument. But yet you're constantly selling your Caterpillar, your, 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 your products to, to this country that's killing folks. They have whoever, let's say they have terrible human rights records, right? But you're doing it and your companies oftentimes in this company, the rich are on welfare more than the poor. They get tax breaks, they get subsidies, People don't want to talk about that. There's a book that I have called Take the Rich Off Welfare. And they talk about how a lot of these companies will come in and then they'll go and the things you can buy in Home Depot like a hammer. And they show where they'll charge the government $500 for a hammer. Thousands of dollars for nails. And you're paying your friends and your associates this money. And you're taking away from social programs, right? Education and healthcare. The, the contract that you give Boeing alone one year contract probably could take care of people's health care for the, uh, uh, with a person like you and me or whoever don't have to pay health care. It's, it's embedded in your taxes. These are the people, their names and their companies need to be exposed. Not talk about the government and the system because now you're not, you're not being detailed. You're not yes. exposing. Because I, who do you, what do you mean government? Who? That's what I think. Is, is uh, we should we literally we should we should push those buttons yeah it's to me it's think globally act locally and we have to get folks who understand that if you don't impact the sheriffs if you don't impact the police chiefs if you don't impact your city councils your judgeships because we tend not to vote down this down the ballot when we get to those smaller elections but that's where the power is. Those are the people who enforce and create law. So if we're allowing them to do that unfettered yep. and unsupervised, they will continue to abuse their power and abuse us. That's right. That's right. That's right. You said something powerful then when you said globally and act locally. You know, a lot of quotes are being mentioned about Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass during this time, rightfully so. But one of the quotes also that Fred, uh, Martin Luther King said is, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, right? So, you know, when we attach ourselves to oppression that's happening in other places and we show that, look, we feel your pain, right? We support you. It's easier for other people now when we go through things for them to support us. This is why you see this outcry because we have a common enemy. We have a common oppression. Everybody suffers, white and black. And so now when it hits, it's like, man, we got to stand up for the George Floyds, the Breonna Taylors, the Ahmed Aubrey's, and all the others that came before and that most likely will come after. You know, and we got to support the Palestinians. We got to support uh, the Rohingyas. We got to support all of these people that in Nigeria and all these people that are, that are suffering. And it creates that international solidarity that I think even more so that helps to strengthen and bring about change. But, but I agree with you. But it has to be sustained. You know that as well as mm -hmm. I do. Uh, it has to be consistent. The pressure to get sports back out there has nothing to do with the economy, 
this is about the psychology of certain Americans and putting things in their natural order yeah. and how they perceive America to be. Yeah. And what I think can happen, and as we've seen about 40 or 50 NBA players now saying, I'm not maybe, I don't, I don't want to be in this bubble. As they look around what's going on in the world too and want to not abandon that, leagues to me are going to put more pressure yeah. on players to show up because they're, they think they can outlast you financially. They, they think they can put enough pressure on the player right. that <laughs> money becomes the thing that makes them walk away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. And, 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 and it's coming. Like even I think now they're, what, uh, they're, they're, they're talking about bringing the, uh, the playoffs back in, what, July? Mm-hmm. And, and and some players are like, I, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable with going. And some play, players want to go, right? And, and, and this, is, this is the time because, as you said, you know, when it's all said and done, uh, you need me. There's no – I mean, there's no NBA without players, right? Now, the players in and of themselves, if you want to get technical, if there's no NBA without players, then by and large, the players is what make the NBA. You can always find somebody that can learn some business, that can bring talent together and recreate your own league with yourself because they can't play basketball. They can't excite crowds. They're in the office behind the scenes. You can find people to do that. You already got a following. So don't let them strong arm you. Say, no, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it. But that's a that's but again that's radical. But it's also real because that's it radical. is you know it's it's a possibility. And I gotta let you go because I know you run out of and we both got time, but like that is so real to me because this is the opportunity, both in on my view as a person in communications, I have to take advantage of this to be independent, to have my voice not be controlled by a larger group. Athletes now with the money that they do have. Right. You don't need 30 teams, and these are civic buildings. You can find, like you said, you can find investors who will, who will get you into buildings. When, y'all had, when the lockout happened back in 99, when the lockout was in 99 and players were starting to organize games, well, now, like you said, all that is easier now. They all know each other. They all know how to come together. They all have the same business people. Man, yeah. Look, you know, and, and investors come in all different uh, uh, religions and, and nationalities and colors. You know, and, and, and in countries. Yep. America does business overseas. I guarantee you if players came together and said, look, man, we're getting ready to establish our own league. We're looking for investors who want to invest. But these are the conditions. Let's sit down and talk. Man, you have African nations. <laughs> you have, because people want to make money. Yep. You have people coming in a heartbeat. And you, you got all this talent coming through. Man, you have people in a, they ain't going to stop the money train. They ain't going to stop it. It's built on making money. Because in this nation, money translates into power. Brother, I, I really But you better have you an army. You better have your <laughs> <some> bodyguard. <laughs> Brother, I appreciate and you. That's so real, cool. too. Yo, that's so real. And I just appreciate you. Like, so likewise, much. man. Black likewise. Lives matter. Yes. I appreciate likewise, you so much. Every time we yeah. talk, I learn something. I am, I am enlightened and I am and and emboldened, and emboldened when we speak. 
And so, you know, the conversation part is over, but I just want to, man to man, I love you, brother. I wish you continued success. And please, too, anything that I can ever do to keep the movement going forward, to amplify something that you're doing, do not hesitate to reach out to me because um, there are certain times in life, and I believe that we are brought to, into people's lives and they are brought into ours for a purpose. And from the moment that we first interacted, That's right. I have honestly felt like there's been a kinship of thought and I want to support you and the things, the greater mission in any way that I can, brother. I appreciate that, my brother. And I, and I feel the genuineness and, and I feel the same and, and always much success, much love, man, to you, your family, everybody. And we, we're going to continue this relationship. Absolutely. And I look forward to the next time. And thank you so much for sharing your time with me. So that was my conversation with Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. Um, again, it was an honor to, to sit down with him and, and talk for a while. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. And we'll be back on Monday with more episodes um, of Hard in the Paint. Y'all have a great weekend. And don't forget to follow me on social media at DM Grub. Um, you can also follow the show HITP underscore with underscore DG. And you can also find me on Instagram at DM Grub or at HITP with D Grub. So uh, go ahead and check those out. My website as well, HITP with DG.com. And visit the uh, Parker Pan online store. A lot of great stuff there. Please check it out. Um, until next time, I'm David Grub. And this is Parker Pan.